0: Worship you and lift up your holy name and just remember who you are and who we are in Christ. And pray now, God, as we look at your word, as we um, allow your spirit to teach us and guide us that that would truly happen, Father, that we would be encouraged, challenged, whatever it is that you have for us today. Most of all, God, may our time in your word cause us to better learn to what it means to lean into you and allow you to work, Father, in our lives. We pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, last week... This, our series in the uh, book of Acts, uh, we began talking about how do we uh, confront or how do we overcome these, the really real, really real fears that uh, often we have when we're faced with the opportunity uh, to share our faith with someone. We all know what that's like when all of a sudden we have an opportunity we feel like God's opening a door to share our faith or say something, um, some gospel truth to somebody and all of a sudden, you know, we get these kind of, this little fear, or this intimidation kind of creep up in us. And, and, it, and it keeps us from being confident and from, from being bold and sharing our faith. And that's what we've been looking at. We've been looking at in Acts. And um, last week, we looked at some of, these, some of these things, but we also looked at some of the powerful truths that can help us in persevering and sharing our faith uh, and sharing the gospel with others with boldness, some very practical things. Now, this week... What we're going to be doing is we're going to continue in that same vein, and what we're going to do this morning is really look at a very real intimidating threat that the early believers were facing, they had to face, and it had to do with how do we now go about Talking about Jesus, how do we do that? How do we share the good news? Because there was a, a a big time resistance to that. We're going to look exactly at at what that was and as we and as we look with as we look at how we dealt the early believers dealt with it. What we're going to learn is how that we as well and just like them can face with confidence and with boldness any really opposition or fear that we might have or feelings of intimidation we have. They really give us a good example of how to do that. Remember, if you remember last week, last week we saw that after healing this crippled man, remember, Peter and John went to the temple and they healed this this crippled man and yet they were taken into custody because the the religious leaders were pretty ticked off and they were annoyed at them. And they want to know, hey, by what power by what authority are you doing this? So, What authority? Because it's, it's not by ours. We didn't give you the authority to, to heal and to, to speak of the power that comes in this name of Jesus. So where's, where's that coming from? So we saw that they seized, uh, t- t- took Peter and John, and they took trial and all that stuff. And then the beautiful thing we saw was that they went before the most important people in all of Israel. The most powerful leaders, and Peter got to just, boom, just expose them, just the the gospel. He got to talk about the gospel, got to expose them all to who Jesus is, the truth of the gospel, and it was amazing. What an opportunity to the most powerful people in all of Israel. Um, And eventually, we saw that the leader said, well, they really haven't done anything wrong. We don't like that they're, we thought we took care of this Jesus thing. <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to threaten them. So remember, they decide, okay, we're going to threaten, don't do it anymore. Do not preach this day, anything in the name of Jesus, and you, and you can go. So, so they let them go. They warned them pretty harshly. We don't know what they told them they would do to them. We would string you up. We don't know what they told them, but they threatened them pretty harshly. So here's what we're going to look at today. What we're going to look at today is what happens next. What happens next with Peter and John as they leave this tribunal that they were in front of? What happens after they do that? What happens when they go back to their friends? So we're in chapter 4 of Acts, and we're starting in verse 23. Verse 23 of Acts chapter 4. We're just going to read this. Verse 23, okay, it says, When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. So we see that right away, what happens is Peter and John immediately return to their friends and to their fellow believers and report to them all that happens, including this warning that they were given, okay? This warning that they received from the religious leaders to no longer preach, do not preach about Jesus anymore. Now, I want to th- think about the different ways that these people could have responded. They're friends. They hear this. And the most, I mean, the most powerful religious people in all of Israel have essentially put a cease and desist order on saying anything about Jesus anymore. Do not talk about him. Do not do any, don't try to perform any great feats or anything in his name. Do not do it. And these guys held a lot of power. I mean, they could say you can no longer come to the temple anymore and worship. You could, they, could, they could make your life miserable. And remember, though, just a short time ago, Jesus told his disciples that they would receive power from the Holy Spirit to be witness, his witnesses throughout the world. And this was happening. And we see that they were doing it with boldness. Remember, we saw that thousands and thousands of people were coming to Christ and joining the church. So now what do they do? Wait, wait, wait. You, you told us we would have this power, but now we're being told by the most powerful people that we know to stop. So what do we do? How are these early believers supposed to keep from being afraid of continuing to proclaim the name of Jesus in the midst of such intimidating threats? After all, they knew that, they knew that as Peter, remember, had said to the religious leaders that salvation for mankind is found in none other than Jesus. They knew it. They knew that salvation could only come in G- from Jesus I mean, these guys had a message to share. And remember, they were even learning to be willing to even die for this. So what do we do? What are they supposed to do? Now, as we said last week, none of us, I think, are ever going to be faced with this kind of threat for sharing the gospel. We're not going to have to worry about this kind of persecution that the early Christians had. But we can be made feel intimidated, can't we? It can be really intimidating to, to share your faith, to speak the very words that you know you want to say, you know that are truth that are burning in your heart to say to your friends or family or someone who's brought it up and you go, I, I want to say, but you can, we can be intimidated because of the different things that happen. Something that we all wouldn't at all blame these early Christians for being intimidated, would we? Especially after these threats. Yeah. Look at how they respond. Check this out. Look at how they respond to Peter's report of, hey, they said, don't say anymore. Check this out. Look at verse 24. He said, and when they heard it, they lift their voices together to God and said, sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointing. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand had planned and had predestined to take place. So, very first thing, how do these early Christians respond to this news that, hey, stop, you can't do this anymore, you cannot, you cease, desist. What do they do? They go right to God in prayer. They go, that's their first thing they did. They said, we don't hear anything else. They probably just went oh, boom to their knees, I would imagine. They said, this is, this is something we have to go to God in prayer. And what they do, the first thing they do in their prayer is make sure that they acknowledge that God, who God truly is. They want to make sure that they acknowledge that they understand that he is completely sovereign. They want to acknowledge that He is the Creator over everything and has absolute power and authority over everything and everybody. And that his, he has the power and authority to do anything that he wants. So you see how their understanding of Scripture guided their, how they were going to pray. So the first thing, if you want to take the notes, if you want to do the fill in the blank there on your little sheet uh, in front of you there. So the first thing the early believers did in order to be able to face opposition to the sh- sharing the gospel with boldness was to acknowledge that God is ultimately in control of their circumstances. Now, I think we think, oh, that's so elementary. I get that. But how often do you and I typically respond in a way that, that really shows, yes, I believe that God is completely in control of my circumstances? I don't know about you, but I don't do very good at that a lot of times. I say it, uh, God, I know you're in control, but I sure am freaked out. I sure am scared. I'm sure I'm going to not do this, or I'm sure gonna, I'm going to plan a different thing. They acknowledge, first and foremost, who God is. You see, what was happening is they're thinking theologically about their circumstances. That's what these guys are doing. They don't pray for the destruction or the overthrow of those who oppose them. Could you imagine how a lot of people would want to pray? God, sick them. Get them. Boils, whatever it takes, get them. Go, don't let them, don't let them do that. But but what they do is instead they pray for the understanding of God's and their role in their circumstances. They begin this prayer by acknowledging that God is ultimately in control and that He is stronger than those who are opposing them. They don't have to fear because He's on their side, He's bigger, He's greater. They understand that the, the opposition, the opposition of Jesus and his message by the Romans who crucified him, by the Jewish leaders who plotted in vain, this is what this verse is talking about here, and, and Pilate was actually something foretold by King David as recorded in Psalm 2. That's what they're t- They're actually praying a psalm here. They're praying the truth that was already written in scripture that they knew to be true. And that ultimately, the opposition would be completely in vain. See what they did? They went to the truth of what they already could know about God. See, what these early believers were doing is allowing Scripture to inform their prayers and understanding of the the persecution that Jesus faced and that now they will be facing as his witnesses. And that it's all according to God's plan. It's all by his hand. So they're saying, we know you're in control. We know you're bigger and everything. And you know what? We've read about this. We even memorized these scriptures back in the day. So what's happening is according to your will. (laughs) This isn't escaping you. And you're bigger than all this. They understand that from scripture, there will be those who oppose our message, That is a scriptural promise that will happen. And just as the plans to oppose Jesus by crucifying him backfired, so too man's plans to oppose us, his followers, will ultimately backfire. Because God is sovereign. God is in control. He's even in control with the sinful deeds of man. Even the mistakes we make, even the blunders we do, he is in control. This is a little side note here. So often I hear this from believers. And I even believe, it's easy to believe myself as well is that, oh, look what I've done or, or look at how I've not, I'm not where I should be. So that kind of not necessarily disqualifies me for being a, a, a mouthpiece for God, but I'm just, not, I just, I'm just not adequate enough to do that. And that's a lie from the enemy, a big time lie from the enemy. We need to know that, no, God is in control. God is bigger than our blunders. God is bigger than our past mistakes. You look at my you know, history, of all my! what if my history comes out? Or what if all the things people just don't know? God is bigger than that. He's control over everything. That's what it means that God is sovereign. He will even take the most vile, evil things done. And still use them for his glory. Can you imagine? Well, I don't. It would be fun to wonder what the demons were doing during, during the whole crucifixion thing. Were they just partying? Were they just like, yeah, we went. The most vile evil thing, the son of God was murdered and tortured. Yet, did it thwart the plan at all? <laughs> Not a bit. Think about what you're going through. Think about what you're struggling with, what's got you down, what's making you depressed, what's making you anxious. God is bigger. He's bigger. His plan will not be thwarted for your life. Specifically when it comes to as we share our faith. As we're going to see here, these people are also very aware. They're not, just, they're not just pie in the sky. Thank you, God. You're awesome. They're also aware that they have a very, very great need. Okay? They're very aware of that. And now you would assume, though, that this need would be for protection, right? Protection, don't we usually pray that way? We feel some resistance, God protect us, or God protect them for what they're going, and that's not a bad prayer necessarily, But they did not pray that way. They did not pray for protection against those who would oppose them or cause them great harm. Because it's out of their understanding of who God is, that he is sovereign, that he is completely in control, that they were really able to know what their deepest need was. And their deepest need was not for for protection. The truth is we won't know what our needs truly are until we are aware of who God truly is. Let me say that again. We won't know what our needs truly are, especially in our difficult situations, until we are aware of who God truly is. We have to let what we know about God inform us so that we can know what our real needs are. That's so often as Christians, we don't even know what we need. We think we need protection or we think we need this certain thing. But because we're not in tune with God, because we don't really know God like we should, we ask for things that are just for our protection. We go into fear mode. We pray in fear mode. That's why we spend time with God. That's why we spend time with other believers. That's why we do all we can to grow in our intimacy with Jesus so that in turn we know how to approach the Father with what we really need, not what we think we need. You see, these early Christians' understanding of who God is, according to their understanding of Scripture, informed the way that they prayed, and so it should be with us as well. Because the truth is, any false or distorted view or understanding of God is only going to keep our prayer life powerless and ineffective. If we see God, think about it, if you see God as distant or, or somewhat removed from the concerns of your everyday life and circumstances, what's going to happen? Our prayers are probably going to be infrequent, for One. And they're probably going to be just purely for our own protection and for help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. They're going to be self-centered prayers. Keep me from harm. Keep me safe. I'm scared. Okay? Instead of understanding how, what do we really need? What do I really need to be praying for? These early believers understood that what was happening to that was actually an extension of what had happened to Jesus. See, they weren't, what's happening to us? <laughs> oh, we can't, we, no, they knew, They saw, because of what they knew about God and some scripture, they knew that what was happening to them was a direct extension of what was happening, what had happened to Jesus. And as God was completely sovereign, as he was completely in control in that situation, you know what? They had no doubt that he'd be in control in that one as well. None. No doubt at all. They knew that that would happen. This is why They ask not for protection against those that could do them harm, but for something completely different. Look at this. Verse 29. And now. Okay, after they've acknowledged it. And now. Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed to the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. That's prayer. That's theologically informed Prayer. They pray not to have their enemies pay or to be vindicated or even that they would be spared any opposition. But for, here's what they pray. They pray for three different things. Look at this. First, they pray that God would take notice of their adversaries' threats. You see that? Take notice of their threats. Really, what they're saying is take notice of their threats and you be the judge of them, not us. We don't need to judge that. We don't need to jump on that. It's so easy for us to do that, isn't it? You're taking away my religious freedom. You can't talk to me like that or you what do you what do you mean that you we get all freaked out about what others do to us. God get them. I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they're being so What's wrong? No, nope. they said, "You know what? God, you look at it. You see what they're doing? You take care of it." You're, you're a way better judge than we are. You take care of it. They understand that in his sovereignty, God is the ultimately the best judge of their enemies. They don't have to waste time. They don't have to waste emotional energy, yearning for justice. They don't have to worry about that. God's in control of all that. So number two on your notes. So the second thing these early believers did in order to be able to face opposition To sharing the gospel with boldness was to allow God to be concerned with dealing with the opposition they faced. We aren't meant to waste our time and to waste our energy worrying about being concerned with those who oppose us when we share the message of the gospel. We don't have to worry that, oh my gosh, they. God, they called me a sissy. They called me someone who relies on a crutch. They said that I'm weak-minded. What am I supposed to do about that? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. Say, God, you saw that. You see that. You be the judge of that. I'm just going to continue to be faithful to what you called me to do. You see how that frees us up? So that freeze and stuff that takes away some of those things that are making us go, ah, scared a little bit? God, you are ultimately in control. You take care of that. And then the next thing they do, number three on your notes, is they ask for increased boldness. Wow. <laughs> they just go right forward, don't they? God, you know what? we're being threatened to give us more give us make us more bold give us courage to to keep going forward they give us increased boldness to proclaim the love and power found in the name of Jesus they they pray that god would help them to be his witnesses without fear despite the threats or the consequences that could happen really what these guys are praying they are praying essentially that they would ultimately be able to suffer faithfully that's what they're doing. Help us to suffer faithfully because the scriptures are clear that Christians are exposed, are supposed to expect and even to embrace suffering with joy. That's what the scriptures tell us. As I referred to last week, remember we looked at this verse, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, Jesus said, blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. No, notice he says on my account, not because you were a jerk, <laughs> okay? Not because you were rude, but on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That's a whole other sermon right there on rewards in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So really, far from seeking comfort, as followers of Jesus, we are to actually thrive, to thrive on any hardship that we endure for his name. And it comes from believing that because there will be heavenly rewards for us, that we will be willing, even eager, to suffer for proclaiming the name of Jesus, and I got to tell you this is a Holy Spirit thing. Nobody goes into sharing their faith or doing anything for God knowing they're going to suffer going yippee. You know, I don't know that happens, but when you're in the midst of it, the ro- the Holy Spirit does an amazing work. That's the job of the Holy Spirit is to affirm what we are doing when we're being faithful to God. So when we're in the midst we don't have to worry about, oh, what's going to happen to play out the scenarios. We just go. We just be faithful and sharing our faith and speaking the gospel into different situations in life, knowing that, okay, there could be some persecution here, but also knowing God is faithful and the Spirit will give me the words and the Spirit's going to hold me up too. And I guarantee you, if you've ever suffered in any way for the name of Christ, even if it's just being belittled or something like that, you know what it's like later to feel, oh my gosh, that was for Jesus. And wow, thank you. it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? So counterintuitive. But that's the life of faith. That's the life of a person indwelled with the Holy Spirit. That's otherworldly other thinking. It's, it's just absolutely amazing. Well, next, next we see here that these early believers pray that God would continue to do mighty works like the healing of this crippled man in order to attest to their message of the power found in the name of Jesus. Number four in your notes, it says, as with the early believers, we should be regularly praying for God to miraculously work in the lives of people in order to attest to the power found in the name of Jesus. Of Jesus. Now, he's not saying, I'm not saying here, pray for crippledness and pray for that. We, can, we need to do that stuff. And, but I believe that God still heals all that stuff today. But back then, he was doing it to specifically authenticate what was happening through the apostles and through the people there. But God still continues to do amazing, amazing thing. Really, nothing points to or nothing echoes the glory of God than change lives, Right? Nothing just like screams how amazing God is when people whom God has done mighty works of transformation in their life. That is, that's what shows how incredible God is. Let me, let, me, let me tell you what I think their prayer probably looked like. I'm going a little extra biblical here, but I even wrote it out. This is what I think that their prayer probably looked like. It probably went something like this. God, because you are the absolute authority over all creation we leave the judgment of these people's actions to you. What we need more than anything is boldness and courage to continue to speak in your name and for you to continue doing mighty works in people's lives so that the name, in the, in the name and power of Jesus will be ultimately proclaimed. That needs to be our prayer as well. This is a great model that these early Christians, when it comes to the, having the fear and being intimidated about sharing our faith, great model of how they prayed. Number five on your notes, what these early believers recognize is precisely what we need to continually recognize as we face fear and intimidation that comes with opposition to sharing the gospel with boldness. boldness It's our utter dependence on God to give us the perspective and the boldness that we need in order to fulfill our mission to make disciples. A dependence, a deep dependence on God. Because our perspective is going to get skewed, isn't it? Our perspective is going to be self-centered. Our our perspective is going to be about self-preservation, isn't it? That's our flesh. So God, give me the perspective Give me the perspective. I can only get it from you. I can't manufacture it. It can only come from you. The perspective of what is happening here in the light of the truth of the Scriptures. And then just give me the boldness to continue to move on. is this a great example to us? What a great example to how to move forward in our faith. Now, interesting, Now, as if to confirm that God's presence was with them and that he was totally answering their prayer, what does he, what does he do? He throws them a little bone, doesn't he? the place just starts to shake. Could you imagine what it would be like if we were praying in such a way, the spirit was moving, and all of a sudden this place began to shake. We'd all just assume it's an earthquake, obviously. But what if God just did something like that? I mean, he could do that. But what a thing to pursue, isn't it? I want to be able to pray. I want, God, I want to be so in line with what your perspective is on life and boldness to speak the truth that at the very least, I shake, I get woo because of my understanding of who you are. Not because I'm so special, but because how incredible you are in me and how much you want me to share and you lead me in, in this. Now, the religious leaders thought that they could put an end to all this Jesus business by silencing Peter and John, right? He thought, no way, they'll, they'll, they'll definitely take our, take our word for it. Instead, their threats result in emboldening all of Jesus' followers to rely on God for boldness to continue to speak about proclaiming God's word. Isn't that amazing? Well, this will definitely do it. Now everybody's pumped and stoked and excited about relying on God to share their faith. The truth is that the religious leaders' threats actually accelerated the advance of the gospel. Do you see what happens here? The persecution that we believe so often is going to stifle that friendship or is going to stifle that person ever wanting to hear about the gospel or I might say the wrong things. Or I might tick people off. So often God uses those very things to advance the gospel. Once again, counterintuitive, huh? Totally counterintuitive. But God, I'm scared. I don't have the right words to say. I don't pray for that perspective. Pray for that boldness and go, knowing that no matter what, God is. Even if it looks to you like fail, that was horrible. That just went terrible. God can still use that, and chances are he will, to advance his gospel, and we really need to be thinking that way in everything, how we do church, how we do our faith, how we read our Bibles, how we pray, in every way, especially when it comes to failure and opposition, because in our world, failure and opposition means now what? In God's kingdom... And in God's economy, failure and opposition means awesome time for God's power just to go crank up a notch in our life and watch it, just watch him do his thing. I think we just forget that so easily. Now, okay, last little section here. Now, this last section, we're going to see this, the unique impact. I almost left this section out. But I thought this would be a good section to end with here, the unique impact that the perspective that these early believers had has on the relationship that they have with one another, okay? We're going to see the, how this perspective, they, what does it do now to the relationships they have with one another? Let's read this last big chunk here, uh, verse 32 to the end of the chapter. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. So here's what we see here, that just as they had lifted their voices together in prayer, so, too, now they are committed to one another in terms of their resources. Similar to what we saw, remember, back in chapter 2, where they were, all had everything in common? What's happening here was there, was there was this open-handed attitude towards everything that they had. Number six on your notes. This is a powerful truth. A sign that we are depending on the Spirit of God in helping us face opposition to sharing the gospel with boldness is the loosening of our grip on things while tightening our grip on our connection and devotion to one another. Isn't that just a cool (laughs) <laughs> response to all that, there, this, this, isn't this great that here's the reverberation of what happens as we do these things, as we're faithful, as we trust in God, look what happens, look what happens to relationships, see, God is concerned about our relationships, the, the, that phrase, no man is an island, no woman is an island is so true, especially when it, comes, when it comes to the Christian faith, we are to be involved in one another's lives, and not just a little bit, but deeply, Caring, loving, encouraging, all those one another things that we have been talking about. Now, along with this deep mutual commonality and this commitment to one another, the apostles continue. They continue with great power testifying about Jesus, something that they were just told to stop doing. But not only do they do it, he says they do it with great power. They continue on. Now this, And now that he talks about, then there's this mention of this great grace being upon them. And what this great grace is, is this proof of their earlier prayer that they had just prayed being answered. As you know, many of you know, grace can be defined as undeserved or unmerited favor. And that's what these people were experiencing, this, this grace in the form of a powerful witness that was brought about by God-given boldness. They were just going for it. They were just, and not only did God answer their prayer for boldness to witness for Christ, he allowed them to experience the natural outflow of the working of the Holy Spirit in their lives. This is the outflow, unity of heart and mind. That's what it says. They had a unity of heart and mind. It was like, God's doing these great things. So what do you think on this theological point? Oh, really? You sit there on that theological point? Oh, re- oh really? I don't know. Well, let's, let's debate about that for a while. Let's, let's talk. No. There, was, there wasn't like they agreed on everything. They're all best buddies. They all had everything the same thing. They all had the, Now we're all, our favorite color is blue. Uh, it wasn't like that at all. Because of the Holy Spirit, they were so knit together. There was such unity that they couldn't help but say, what I have, uh, I'm I'm opening my hand. Who needs it? Who needs it? I I can't. This, I felt like I needed before. Yes, this provides security in my life. But you know what? If it's going to help a brother or sister in Christ, I am so bonded to you that I will sacrifice That's what, that's, you know, where we we can relate to that is in giving in the church. So often we've heard the sermons on tithing and giving to the church and we say, here's what I'll do. I'll give to the church what I can afford. Instead of saying, what does God want me to give to the ministry of the gospel and let him worry about the rest? This is a lesson my wife and I learned a long time ago. We were really convicted to say, here's how much we're going to give. That's the first thing off the paycheck. Nothing, and then we'll see. We're going to trust God for the rest. This is what God told, we feel we give. This is it. This is how we're going to, and the blessings that come from that are just, not because we're such great people, it's because the Holy Spirit was working in our lives. And then with our lives in the community that we, were, that we were sharing life with, we wanted to give to the church. We wanted to give to ministries that were meeting the needs of other people and sharing the gospel and taking care of things. You know, it's, it's a joy to give to people like Luther and to give to you know, one of our missionaries in Liberia and to all, these, all the things I know a lot of you give to. Isn't that a joy? And really, it's a joy, especially when we know we're giving sacrificially because it unifies us. When we were missionaries on the field, my wife and I, twice we were missionaries, once in Europe and once in Latin America. And I remember the generosity of people giving to help support us was phenomenal. It was so encouraging. And we came to find out that people a lot of time didn't even really know exactly what we were doing. They just felt uh, we, were so bond, we were so bound together, a commonality, a unity of mind, and a unity of the spirit. And they got okay, you're going to be doing this? I kind of get that, but you know what? Oh, gosh, here. We, 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 go do it. Because that sounds great. That's what, so that was happening in this group here. And in order to make sure that people really, this is interesting that this last little bit is, is mentioned here, and make sure that we get a clear picture of what a person looks like who particularly lives this out. Luke gives us this example, the example of Barnabas, who's a guy who sells this field that he owned and laid at the apostles' feet to distribute. Now, why does he mention, why does he single out Barnabas? We're going to see soon that he singles out a couple other people as well. <laughs> but why does he single out Barnabas? Well, Barnabas, as we it says here, really his name was Joseph. That wasn't his name. His name was Joseph. And we're going to see that he plays a huge role in the book of Acts. And he also will play, laid a big role in Paul's ministry, as you know. And so along with leaving this legacy of strong faith, Barnabas was known as a deep lover of people. He loved people. He knew that that was God's biggest concern was for people. And he loved to care for others. Thus, this is what, this is what the disciples decided, we're going to give you a nickname. We're going to call you Barnabas because that means what? Son of encouragement, you are, that, could you, what a great, what a great nickname. I want that nickname. <laughs> that's a great nickname. And so that's what they're saying. This is what flows out of all this. This is what flows out of understanding who God is and where our part in all that is and his power in our lives. So we see that ultimately it was their complete dependence on God that gave these early believers the ability to face opposition to sharing their faith With boldness. It was this utter dependence in turn that led to this deep community that they experienced and commitment to care for one another and one another's needs. This is what people sharing on mission to make disciples look like. And I even made a slide to end this sermon because this is what I believe, this is what this is all coming together. This is what people that are sharing the mission to make disciples look like. It's people who, as they go about being on mission together, they acknowledge that God is ultimately in control of their circumstances. They allow God to ultimately be concerned about the uh, opposition they face. They continually ask for increased boldness to proclaim the gospel and for God to miraculously work in the lives of people in order to attest to the power of Jesus. And they're deeply committed to meeting one another's needs by holding loosely to their possessions. Here's a question I want to end with. Look at that list. I want to, the question I want to ask is, which of these areas do you, which of these areas do I need to be more intentional in asking the Lord to help me with in order to be the most effective witness for Christ that I can be? Which one of these, think about, look at which one of these do I need God to say, help me God, I want to allow you to be concerned about the opposition and not be, let that be the thing that I have to worry about. Or, I know you're in control. Give me, I need more boldness, God. God, I just need more boldness. And I need, I need you to do some, I want you to do some miraculous things in these people's lives not to, I'm not going to pray just that they would get saved, God. to be just something miraculous in their life. So they will see this, and they will just know that it's got to be you. Help me. Am I meeting the other? Am I holding loosely my possessions? I want to encourage you to meditate this as we move into communion here, as we move into our time of just recognizing and, and remembering God's goodness and faithfulness meditate on that question as we move into this time of remembering and sacrifice that Jesus made. We're going to leave that we leave that up there guys. Let's just we're just going to leave that slide up there for you as you think about it as we go into this time of remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made for us so that we could not only experience all that comes with being a follower of Jesus and having life in him but we would have the ability to be witnesses to the lost in a dying world that I know all of us long to be and all of us long to do, but I know we're intimidated often and scared to do that. So, so well, we're, we're once again, communion, we do this every Sunday. Just come on up when you're ready. The band is going to be playing. Just take some time in your seat. You can take the communion up here. You can take it back to your seat. Take it with somebody. You can pray uh, with some, on the side. There'd be people to pray. Um, just take some time to be with the Lord and think through this stuff and what Jesus did In order to allow us to experience these things in our life. Father God, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for your power. We're grateful, Lord, that you love us so much that you invite us into this mission of reaching people for the lost. And we confess, God, I confess that I have uh, often been afraid, often let my fear keep me from speaking the truths of the gospel to others. So I pray, God, as we Reflect on your goodness by sending your son that you would embolden us, encourage us, and convict us in Christ's name.